Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, This is your host, Ted Hart. I'm coming to you live uh, from the national headquarters of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. And we've got a big show for you today, a very important show uh, that helps all of us as leaders understand uh, the scope and breadth and what is happening uh, in the U.S. charitable giving sector. And our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach today will be uh, Rob Mitchell. As always here on Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. Over here on uh, page one news, just to uh, draw your attention to the Chronicle of Philanthropy today, uh, leading with an article about the new budget put forward by uh, President Barack Obama that would limit charitable deductions. We've seen this before, and of course, uh, anything anyone who knows anything about Washington, D.C., these things uh, do not often go far, uh, but uh, we do want to make sure that you stay on top of that issue uh, as it moves forward to make sure that we do maintain the charitable deduction here uh, in the United States. Also, uh, just a a programming uh, note for you. Uh, Today, uh, as always, you can join us over in the chat room. I do see some folks over in the chat room, so feel free to ask questions there. As the announcer mentioned, this is a live call-in show, so you should feel free uh, to call in and ask questions by dialing 347-324-3080. You can also ask me questions uh, at uh, uh, Ted Hart at TedHart.com 
uh, here on the show. So uh, our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach for our Page 2 Expert, we're going to jump right into it. Rob Mitchell is the CEO of the Atlas of Giving, which is the topic of our show today. Uh, Rob is one of the most successful and experienced fundraising professionals here in the United States, joining many of us uh, who have been around for many decades uh, as a working fundraiser, nonprofit leader, and an innovator. He's also an expert in the mechanics of charitable giving economy here in the United States. That's important for our discussion here today. Uh, as Rob participates in the entire uh, participated in the entire spectrum of modern fundraising, he has an appreciation for how fundraising is put together, and then now with the Atlas of Giving to give us some insight. And a lot of people are maybe a little bit more familiar uh, with the Giving USA report, which has been around for a long time, um, and I've often been asked the difference between the two. And I think just as the, the financial markets have many analysts and many opportunities to look at that sector from a variety of different viewpoints, I think there is more than enough room and more than, more than enough need uh, for both the Atlas of Giving and the Giving USA report because they look at our sector in slightly different ways and certainly the analysis that's available from both uh, is, I think, very valuable and particularly my suggestion to my listeners um, is to consider both and to look at the entire uh, spectrum of fundraising as you're making your plans for the year ahead, which is why uh, we invited uh, Rob Mitchell uh, back here on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. So welcome back, Rob Mitchell. Thanks, Ted. It's good to be with you. Always good. Well, we really appreciate uh, you coming uh, and joining each year uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach to share with us your insights, which are uh, very substantial. Uh, you have a team of 25 uh, PhD-level mathematicians, analysts, and statisticians uh, that evaluate dozens of possible variables and their interactions with charitable giving um, outcomes for over four decades. And then from that, uh, each year you and your team do your analysis, uh, and then you publish the Atlas of Giving. So today we're here to talk about uh, United States charitable giving 2014 results and initial 2015 forecast. And uh, I understand, Rob, what the story that you're going to paint for us today is one of genuinely good news and a cautionary tale. It is good news. Um, <clears throat> the good news is that two, 2014 was another good year, great year for giving. Um, by our estimate, giving totaled more than $450 billion dollars. Uh, to all causes in 2014, and that is up 9.3% from last year, from 2013, uh, when the total was uh, almost $418 billion. A 9.3% uh, increase is something that almost any organization would be pleased to see uh, in their fundraising. That's a lot of money. Uh, can you break down for us why you feel that that happened? Uh, what were some of the contributing factors? Well, there were there were significant contributing factors, and Ted, it might it might be beneficial to the listeners to know um, how we analyze the charitable giving economy and arrive at our numbers. Uh, as you as you mentioned earlier, we take we took originally four dec more than four decades worth of uh, published annual giving data, um, turned it 
turned it over to our team of 25 researchers and analysts. We gave them the, the, our hypothesis when we started was that giving is directly related to specific factors in the economy, demographics, and events. So we gave our team uh, more than 75 variables to test um, to determine if there were indeed correlations, and what this is generally called as correlation science, correlations among these factors and, and specifics of the charitable giving economy. And in fact, there were. So what we were able to determine is what those factors were and what their relative strengths were. And now we have, from that, we've developed uh, 65 specific algorithms that are based on those factors. So there are algorithms for each of nine sectors, health, education, religion, the arts, the environment, et cetera, um, for sources of gifts, individuals, foundations, corporations, and bequests and um, all 50 states plus D.C. So each, of the, each one of those algorithms, the factors and the strength of those factors can be considerably different. One example that I would give you is comparing and contrasting two sectors. One would be religion uh, or churches primarily, where most of their giving is small gifts by individual donors as opposed to, say, college and university in the giving in the education sector, where many of those gifts or campaign gifts are made out of assets. And the things that, that the factors that uh, matter in each of those two separate algorithms are quite different. So to answer, get back to your question, the things that made a difference, one thing that made a huge difference and has over the last four years in giving is the ramp up in the uh, American stock market. It's had, a, it's had a tremendous success, even with when unemployment was, was really a problem for us, the stock market continued to do well. And that doesn't affect uh, every organization in, in their giving, but it affects some of the organizations in a very dramatic way. So I would say that the stock market was a huge factor. The other thing that we noted is that uh, over the last 12 years, the number of nonprofits in the United States has continued to increase, and in fact, it's up over the last 12 years 50%. So the more organizations that are out there asking, it makes a difference. Um, technology makes a difference. We've got new technologies in fundraising, as you well know and report on regularly, that uh, make fundraising more effective and more efficient uh, at a reduced cost, and so those factors are are huge in our in our um, have, have been huge in showing these kinds of increases. There are other things that have made a difference in 2014, as as your listeners are well aware. Um, employment increased in 2014, and that does make a difference. The interesting thing that we've uh, noted is that when people are when people fear becoming unemployed or they are unemployed or just recently reemployed, uh, they don't give. They have suspended their giving, and it takes as many as two years after people uh, become reemployed for them to resume giving at their um, previous levels. So 
any improvement in employment is a big boost to uh, the the individual source uh, component of giving, which, as you well know, is by far the largest source of gifts in the United States, currently 74%. You, you've got a, a lot of statistics in there, so I want to I back up if, if we can, and I want to thank you for giving that sort of summary of, uh, of the details that you have. Um, going back to the algorithms, going back to the, what, what you have determined um, are some of those triggers for um, your analysis, what are some, and I know that you have a lot of them so far to me that we actually cover on this show, but, but what are some of the, the, the key indicators that you look for and that your statisticians look for that then get put into the overall mix that becomes the Atlas of Giving? They're very, they're varied, and as I say, they're different for each of the 65 formulas, <clears throat> but they include things like gross domestic product. Anyone who's been around fundraising for any length of time has recognized uh, that there is a relationship between real GDP and giving, and that is that is true in many of our algorithms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, in low inflation, we're when people are not struggling. Um, when inflation is low, they have more to give. <clears throat> Pardon me. And same thing on interest rates. We're, at, we're experiencing historically low interest rates when people are borrowing money for, for major items like homes and cars and appliances. When interest rates are low, they're paying less, they have more to give. Things like gas prices make, make a difference. <clears throat> And some of the correlations that we've noted uh, don't necessarily indicate a relationship, but they're very interesting. And one example that I would give you is that there, there is a strong relationship in corporate giving to auto part sales. Now, that is not to imply that auto part sales drive corporate giving. They don't. I think any reasonable person would recognize that. But what we find interesting is that as auto part sales go, so does corporate giving to a degree. There are other factors, of course, in the corporate giving algorithm. But so it's it's a wide variety of things, and I, I think one of the things that that's interesting to think about uh, if you're a practitioner or a nonprofit leader is anything that is providing. Um, more discretionary income on the part of the donor is a good sign for giving, whether that's lower gas prices, as we're experiencing now, low inflation, low interest rates, um, better corporate profits, any, any, any of those kinds of things that create discretionary income for individual donors, corporate donors, foundation donors, those things make a difference. And as people are making decisions uh, to give, and certainly uh, that, as you said, fuels much of a 9.3% uh, increase over 2013 because individual donors account for 74% uh, of U.S. giving, is, is an, uh, an attack on the tax deductibility or a restriction on the tax deductibility of uh, contributions likely to um, change those numbers in the future, or um, have we seen any indication that the threat to change that formula uh, changes people's uh, willingness to give? 
I've seen no evidence that the threat would change anything. I, it's important to note that of all American taxpayers, uh, fewer than 30 percent uh, file an itemized return and claim a charitable deduction. So of that 30%, often, what percentage of of uh, the you know 74% of overall giving does that represent? Is it is it a high? It may be a small percentage of overall taxpayers, but does it represent uh, an, uh, a larger percentage of individual giving? It does, and your your question is spot on because the kinds of people who do itemize and deduct their charitable gifts tend to make, first of all, they're in higher tax brackets and they tend to make larger gifts. So they um, absolutely, it's a disproportional amount. In fact, one of the things that we've noted over the last few years is that about 1% of all charitable giving in this charitable giving economy is accounted for by gifts of $100,000 or more. Say, say that again. About 1% of, of all charitable giving in the U.S. is uh, accounted for by um, individual gifts of $100,000 hundred thousand dollars or more is is that to say if i if I'm understanding correctly that ninety nine percent of gifts made in the United States are less than a hundred thousand dollars no that that no. that would not necessarily be the right characterization, but um it is to say that the people who make very large gifts make a very big difference in the charitable giving economy and you know there's another trend that we've noted that's very important in the charitable giving economy and has often lost on practitioners and that's been the the tremendous growth in donor advised funds especially since the recession and the biggest the three biggest are fidelity gift uh, fidelity charitable Vanguard Charitable, and uh, Schwab Charitable. And by our calculations, gifts into those funds and grants out of those funds in 2014 uh, accounted for uh, over 6.8% of all charitable giving in the United States. Well, we've certainly seen that here at Cap America. Cap America, of which I serve as CEO, is a donor-advised fund. We're the international donor-advised fund here in the United States. And as interest in international has grown, so has Cap America's donor-advised fund. And it's interesting because, as you well know, donor-advised funds uh, by some in our sector have uh, are under uh, are under fire. Uh, people are people are upset that money can go into a donor advised fund for an indefinite period of time before it is um, granted to other nonprofits and uh, but I would argue that the uh, the cumulative effect of growth in the donor advised funds and their effect over a long period of time not just uh, not just this year or next year is a tremendous benefit to our giving economy and it, and in fact there's there's very real data that shows that uh, small private foundations are now uh, transferring their assets into donor advised fund for ease of uh, um, managing managing those things and uh, so that's working well and I believe we're picking up new donors who are willing to make gifts into a donor advised fund because they feel like they have 
a modicum of control that they don't have when they make a gift necessarily outright. And it gives them time to think, research, and determine how they'd like their gifts, uh, the grants from their funds to go. Well, I, I can absolutely tell you that you are correct. As someone who runs a donor advised fund, um, we see that in, in people who come to us. Um, of course, they're making the gift to the donor advised fund. They are then advising gifts. And what we find is that that capacity to make the gift and then sit back and be strategic and thoughtful in how you want to advise the gift uh, to be thoughtful about what you're looking to do with those funds uh, is, I think, a, a very important benefit of donor advised funds, that giving directly to uh, a charity who is then using the funds doesn't give that time for reflection. Um, and oftentimes, as we know, end of year giving, people are sort of under the gun uh, in wanting to make their gifts at year end, and sometimes they're not able to do that as thoughtfully as they're able to do uh, through a donor advised fund. And, and uh, statistics show that a higher percentage of funds actually uh, go in and out of a donor advised fund than they do uh, through a private foundation. It's a very good point, and uh, a, a reason that I'm a very big proponent of the donor advised fund concept. Well, we uh, well we appreciate you uh, being a friend to uh, donor advised funds because I, I agree with you. I think it is part of the overall growth because uh, we we are in an economy and in a time where donors want to be more impactful. They want to be more hands-on. They want to be more strategic and thoughtful in their giving. Uh, and the donor advised fund gives them that uh, framework uh, to legally be able to do that and, and to be more thoughtful. We're going to take a, a very quick break, uh, Rob, and then when you come back, you mentioned a few of the contributing uh, factors, The uh, one of the, the largest being uh, improvement in the employment picture here in the United States that helped drive that 9.3% uh, growth. But I want to get into some of the other uh, contributing uh, factors uh, when we come back, and we will be right back after this break. Does your organization have a compelling story to tell? Do you want to connect with your supporters, volunteers, and donors, but don't have the funds to launch expensive outreach campaigns? The YouTube nonprofit program can help. If I could give one piece of advice, it would be sign up for the YouTube nonprofit program. If I could give another piece of advice, it would just be to capture the story of your organization and use video to tell it because video is the most powerful medium by far. The nonprofit program helps you use YouTube as a powerful fundraising tool for your organization. In one weekend, we managed to raise enough to feed 500,000 children at school for one day. The video also gained over half a million views and had thousands of comments. And tell stories that haven't been told. Because you guys, the YouTube community, started sharing these videos, there's been housing programs started and feeding programs started. Literally homeless people that were sleeping outside slept inside last night because of you guys. Over 10,000 nonprofits are already using YouTube's premium tools for nonprofits. Your organization can too. Learn more and apply at www.youtube.com/nonprofits. 
programming note here on the Nonprofit Coach. Next week, we will be live here on the Nonprofit Coach, as always, at 12 noon Eastern. Our guests uh, will be Linda Lysakowski and Lynn Dean, and they are going to be speaking to us about nonprofit strategic planning. Very important topic. Uh, very excellent experts that are going to be joining me here on the Nonprofit Coach. So please mark your calendar and join us next week here on the Nonprofit Coach. And we're going to be uh, head right back uh, to the show and Rob Mitchell, CEO of the Atlas of Giving uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're back here live with Rob Mitchell. Rob, um, there are other contributing factors to this terrific growth, uh, 2013, uh, 2014 over 2013, beyond the improvement in the employment picture. What else uh, contributed? Uh, as a couple of things that I previously mentioned, Ted, that are big, uh, historically low interest rates uh, create more money for people to uh, – more discretionary income, so more pe- people have more to give. Um, low levels of inflation is very important. Um, a strengthening economy in 2014, and we – as anybody who follows the GDP knows, we had – we had uh, – mixed results in GDP in each quarter, but uh, it's been better than it's been in past years, and uh, we we can only hope that in 2015 that that continues in terms of charitable giving. One of the things that I think is important to remember is, especially for practitioners who are listening, is that these factors, these these big economic factors, are a bigger determinant of success or lack of success in charitable giving than anything else. It's kind of like you can have the greatest boat in the world. Um, you can have your your America's Cup boat, but if you've got no wind and no water, you're not going anywhere. So you can do all the asking you want to do, but your results are largely determined by bigger factors than than your strategy, your asking, and what's going on in your office. That's not to say that you should discontinue asking at any time, but uh, it's important to remember that certain times, certain years, certain months are better for giving than others are, and that's one of the things that we do at the Atlas is we have the only um, reliable forecast for charitable giving in the U.S., well, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about that uh, that forecast. Now, you had mentioned earlier that there's a growth in the sheer number of nonprofit organizations in the United States, up 50% in the last 12 years. Now, we've had Ken Berger uh, from Charity Navigator here on the show a couple of times, um, and he always it makes a point for uh, the fact that you know Charity Navigator, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, only analyzes a subset of uh, the the uh, million plus um, nonprofit organizations here uh, in the United States, which seems very small and and would seem to be insignificant, except he overlays on that 
that the vast majority of money that is given in the United States actually goes to the top five to 10,000 charities. So just a small percentage of the charities in this country actually receive the lion's share of, uh, of the donations. So even though there's been a large increase in the number of nonprofits, we still see a, a real concentration in where that money is going. How does that factor into the Atlas of Giving um, and the number of charities asking for money? Well, obviously, Ken, uh, and I know Ken, um, he actually has participated in, he participated in our panel discussion following last year's announcement in New York. And it, yes, he's right. The money is concentrated in, in the top um, in the top and largest charities in the U.S. However, when the base is growing, the tide is rising. So you've got, uh, and many of these new small nonprofits will fail, but a number of them are going to succeed. And one of the trends that we're noting is that there seems to be a move towards more focused, more nimble, and more accountable nonprofits. And the example that I would give you is that cancer is a very big problem, and there are some very large organizations that are focused on that very large problem. But over recent years, there have been a rise in the number of nonprofits that pick a specific problem in the cancer space and build a new nonprofit around it. For example, the Multiple Myeloma Foundation. So while the American Cancer Society may take a very broad view of the big cancer problem, some people are going to be very attracted to solving one specific aspect of the cancer issue like multiple myeloma. And that's true in other sectors as well. So I, I think, um, you know, these, the numbers of these new nonprofits, and yes, many of them will not survive um, many, if not most of them, won't survive. But what you have to remember is that when they're formed, they're out there raising money, and so the tide is rising in the charitable giving economy. But so it doesn't, even though it the doesn't money take is very... Go ahead. It doesn't take away from the fact that there's still a huge concentration in the largest and oldest charities. And, and so because it's so concentrated, do you see a diversification in the fundraising methods used by the largest charities, or is the innovation uh, broadening or democratizing the, the, the fundraising in the United States? There's some of both. I think uh, larger organizations have more resources to try different innovative techniques, to try new analytical tools. Uh, that smaller organizations may not have access to, but one online giving has unquestionably made a huge impact in charitable giving overall. Online event support for larger organizations, um, uh, direct mail, di direct mail using direct mail for direct response requests, um, social media. Th those things have been huge, and in terms of small new nonprofits, all you have to do is go to a to a, a crowdfunding site like Razoo and look at the thousands of um, causes that are represented there that are very specific and some of them um, some of them are are pretty sizable 
they're trying to solve a particular problem and they're using social media and online tools to raise their money. And and that's that can be true of large organizations and small organizations. And the beauty of the uh, the whole electronic fundraising process is that it's less expensive than some of our traditional methods of fundraising. So the the, the barrier to entry uh, is lower now, and so it, the broadening base of nonprofits, while not necessarily receiving the largest gifts are broadening the appeal of giving to charities? Yes. No no question about it. And, you know, there there also are, for lack of a better term, fads. And so um, the, way that, uh, the way that I give money is very different from the way that uh, my children give money. They're, they're much more thoughtful than I had ever been in terms of doing their research because they have – they have today more tools online specifically to to look things up to see what their friends and other family members are doing and that that's making a big difference so that's the good news uh and and lots of factors came uh into play uh to make it possible for 2014 to grow by 9.3% uh, for an all-time record of $456.73 billion given in the United States. So, Rob, the other part of the Atlas of Giving uh, is your forecast and looking forward uh, to 2015. I know all my listeners are you know, certainly uh, you know, sitting with bated breath on what should they be planning for 2015? What does 2015 look like? Um, the first, the first warning I'll give is that this forecast that I'm about to tell you about is the first forecast for 2015. It will change. It, it will definitely change. As you may know, we update our forecast based based on changing factors in the economy, changing events, changing demographics. We update our forecast each month. So it's very important to keep updated. And our forecast rolls ahead 12 months at a time. So you're able to look at the calendar year each month and up to 12 months in the future. What our forecast shows for 2015, our initial forecast, is that giving is actually going to decline from 2014 levels uh, a little more than three percent. Now that that's significant. Uh, how would my listeners uh, make use of that information? Well, one of the things that's that's interesting to note is that what we're looking at today, and and our forecast, again, like any forecast, it's kind of like if you if you go to check today's weather, the forecast for tomorrow is generally going to be very accurate. The forecast for the next five days is going to be less accurate, but still pretty good. Ten days, still good, not as good as just looking at tomorrow. Our forecast is like that. So the further out we go, the less accurate we become. The, the reason that it's important to check in and look at the changing forecast each month is because stuff happens. In 2001, just as an example, uh, the giving year was shaping up to be pretty good. And then 9-11 occurred. And what we know now is that giving to non-disaster charities, 
pretty much dried up for six months before it came roaring back. So for a practitioner, one of the things you can look at in our forecast, if you are nimble enough to pull this off, and that's, that's very key, is you can look month by month over the coming 12 months and choose when you'd like to solicit based on when the environment is going to be the best, is forecast to be the best. An example I would give you, <clears throat> and again, it requires you to be nimble, but if you look at our forecast, and it, if, if your big direct mail drop of the year is usually in November, and you look at our forecast and you see that, gosh, August is a much more favorable uh, has a much more favorable giving forecast than November does. It it might it would be beneficial to you. Maybe you don't take your whole file, but you take a portion of your file and move it to the earlier time frame to take advantage of more favorable giving conditions at that time. So that's one very practical way people can use that. What's unfortunate, and I, I, I put myself in this category, is that. Um, those of us who've been practitioners are, in a sense, married to tradition. So if the gala has always been the third Saturday in October, uh, we're very reluctant to change it to the third Saturday in September simply because we know we can raise more money. There are other factors involved. So um, you've got to be very deliberate about how you make, how you make your plans for strategically for fundraising through the year. But uh, the good news is we've now got a tool that you can use and test against um, to increase, increase your effectiveness uh, in fundraising. And that's a, that is a reliable forecast. And in in looking at this, obviously, yeah, as you uh, as you say in your report, 2015 forecast is bleak at best. Uh, but the other the caution that that you provided earlier, I think, if I if I understand it correctly, is that uh, fundraising is not all that elastic. So bad news is going to decline, even if it moderates to not so bad news. Um, it's not necessarily going to snap back. So the difference between September and October, if the bad news came, uh, you know, in August, is not necessarily going to benefit you. That's correct. And, you know, I, in terms of bleak, I, I got corrected by, uh, um, by Doug White last week at Columbia, who said, you know, this is, here's the way to think about it. Since we've had tremendous growth in giving over the last uh, few years, and we're looking at a slight correction. Look at it the same way you might look at the stock market. Um, a, 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 a correction occurs occasionally in the stock market. If this initial forecast is actually comes to be, then 3.2% decline over the largest giving total in American history from 2014, when you put it in perspective, is not necessarily that bleak. It's just a decline from the previous year. <clears throat> and it's a, it's a big swing uh, growth percentage-wise, but from a money perspective, not that big in terms of a, a planning tool. And so we all want to better our best. 
Go ahead. You might you might want to view it more as sort of a correction. And I, I think for you know most nonprofit organizations, of course, they they tend to uh, be optimistic people, and they tend to want to see trend lines go in one direction, and that's up. Uh, and I, I think you know what you might be pointing out here is that's not entirely realistic. And so understanding where the corrections are coming uh, can help you weather them better than maybe other organizations might. Absolutely. And a great example of it was this last recession. You could have been having, even with the signs of the coming recession in 2007, 2008 for optimistic organizations could have been, giving could have been very good until the stock market really corrected in October. And then, as we know, things things got got bad very quickly. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's important. We like to say we're keeping our finger on the pulse of American philanthropy. And what we're concerned about um, is the velocity and the trajectory of giving. And that's, that's what we're monitoring. Where is... How, how has giving been doing, and where is it going? Now, you, if, if I'm looking at your report uh, correctly, um, the, you're predicting that year over year, fundraising uh, or giving will actually be above 2014 as we get through 2015 up until May. And then you see the divergence starting to take place uh, from May and certainly over the summer. Uh, and by time fall comes around, you're really going to be feeling it. Yes, and that's it's important to remember that 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 chart that you're looking at is it's month over month. So yes, you're right. Uh, giving for January, February, March, April, and May will be better than each of those months was in 2014. But starting what we're showing now is starting June month over month giving over the previous the same period previous year uh will be less than it was and that that includes June through December so here on the nonprofit coach of course we're always looking for practical applications and that's part of what we get with uh the atlas of giving and so is it is it practical for my listeners to take away from this that to the extent that it's possible and to the extent that it's practical uh, to front load uh, your fundraising uh, in 2015 rather than counting on a big finish November, December 2015? It absolutely is. And in fact, uh, if I were still a practitioner, uh, that's, that's what I would be looking to do is getting moving very quickly to move my fundraising resources and budget up further in the year to have the best results. And, you know, it's interesting you point out year-end giving. Um, I wrote a blog which has been uh, gotten a lot of attention about the year-end giving bonanza being a bit of a myth. And it's it's one of the things that I've learned through this study of the charitable giving economy is that – Lots of organizations wait until the last quarter of the year or even the last month of the year to deploy all their fundraising resources and solicitation, and they're doing so at a time when competition is at its most intense. Um, The great direct mail guru, Mal Warwick, when asked once um, 
would you would you mail this month? He said, yes, I'd mail this month. I would mail next month. I'll mail in any month as long as the conditions are right. It's <clears throat> um, There usually is a bit of a bump in year-end giving, but it is not it is typically not very significant when you consider the entire charitable giving economy. Most of that has become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Lots of organizations do most of their asking in the last quarter, and they're missing opportunities to get in front of people at times when there's there's a lot less competition, like the summer. So, um, <clears throat> yes, I think yeah, a practitioner they show that that one of the the lowest uh, direct mail months is August, and it always occurred to me why would you not want to. Uh, be big time in August and leave the competition uh, to duke it out in, in other months. I, I'm watching the clock here. We we have about 15 minutes left, and I did want to get deeper into uh, your forecast. I, I found it interesting when you look at the sector summary um, that everyone will end the year uh, at a lower point except nature and environment, and I'm wondering if there's any story there. There is a story there. I I think – I think the the telltale is that the more we hear about something on the news, the more people respond. Now, it's important to remember that in terms of environmental giving as a sector, it's one of the smaller sectors. It's about 5% of total sector giving. But when you hear about climate change on the news and environmental issues constantly, more and more people are motivated to do something. And so I think... I think that is a motivational factor in environmental giving. And, you know, the the amount that, that we're initially forecasting environmental giving to be up is it's it's very slight. I would almost call it flat. But you're right. The other sectors are projected to be um down more than that particular sector. And where the where the money uh, comes from uh, looks like that's going to stay pretty stable. So it's going to be a smaller pie, uh, but the safer bet, I suppose, is still on fundraising to individuals. Well, that's the biggest that's the biggest pot. I would uh, I would say as a practitioner, one of the things you should look at is because of the ramp up in stock market assets. Uh, one of the things that's going to remain strong for at least two years are foundation grants. So if you're able to deploy resources toward <clears throat> seeking foundation grants, uh, the next two years are, should continue to be very good. Because as you know, foundations are required to give away 5% of their assets. But the way the reporting periods work, um, it's not it's not in the same year because of the reporting period. So uh, what foundation, many foundations will be giving away in grants next year was based on how their portfolio did in the year or two before. Exactly. And so that, that, that probably, at least from your perspective, is a little bit more predictable. A higher stock market provides more opportunities for foundations, but yet we don't see that portion of the, of the overall giving pie changing and I suppose that's because when it's good news for foundations it's good news for everybody else too. Well, it's good news for foundations but as you well know um 
foundation giving in terms of the big proportional pie is still only going to be in the 14 or 15 percent range. So that's it, it's completely overcome by individual giving at 74 percent. So, you know, go where the most money is and go where the best opportunity is. And I think uh, I think all of this speaks to the fact that it's important for lots of organizations to consider a balance in their fundraising portfolio so that <clears throat> during times when the market's good and other things are bad, they they're somewhat insulated. It's kind of it's the analogy that I use, would use as a, a balanced portfolio for your individual investments. It's kind of the same thing. And, and where you are in the country seems to matter as well. Although uh, I caution my comments to to note that we're you know we're dealing with very small fractions of a percent uh, difference. But I, I did find it notable that that one of the the only places in the country that looks like it's it's not going to uh, come to uh, a screeching halt uh, by the end of 2015 is California. And it's the yeah, and it's you know it's a very large economy in California, and so that's uh, I don't have any commentary as to why that is forecast to occur, but uh, other than the size of the California economy by itself. Now, you mentioned it as part of the reason why there was such good news uh, in uh, 2014 uh, was lower gas prices, which which seems to be uh, a trend that at least most of us are surprised is continuing. Um, is it likely that that will affect uh, uh, revisions to the forecast uh, that could alter the terms of your forecast? It certainly could because um, paying a dollar less per gallon for gas is like giving every American and every American corporation a raise. So there's more discretion. Suddenly we're waking up to more more money in our bank account and less credit card charges on our credit card. And so that's discretionary money that people can use for all sorts of things, including giving. So is this uh, is this a, a, a potential? Uh, you made it very clear that this is sort of a moving target, uh, but yet the 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 bleak forecast for year end 2015 uh, seems a little bit more hard baked. Um, do you see that potentially altering? And do you think there is a chance that 2015 might surpass 2014, or is it just a variable of how much lower it would be? One of, well, some of the things that are baked into the forecast are um, a rise in interest rates in the second half of the year, um, some sort of correction in the stock market, and those are two very important things. If those if those things and other things that are that are baked into the forecast currently do not occur, then yes, uh, 2015 could be a better year than 2014. And your forecast is is based on uh, economists uh, suggesting that those two very important variables that you just pointed out are very likely to happen, uh, or that is the best guess at this point for most economists? Well, uh, because of the factors that we use in our algorithms, we, of course, subscribe to a number of um, economic forecasts. And just as an example, 
market forecasting is uh, is difficult. I think anyone would tell you that if you try to time the market, you're uh, you're not being very smart. But our best forecast for for 2014 at the beginning of the year was also expecting a market correction, and it did not occur in any significant way. So that was good news for giving, and. We can only hope that the uh, initial forecast this year will bring some of that good news as well. But right now, I think uh, most most economists and, and market watchers and experts are expecting some form of market correction this year. So, again, back to sort of using that analogy. So for listeners and those who are reading the Atlas of Giving to, you know, potentially – position their organizations to weather the storm, just as you might in your your uh, investments, you might hedge uh, for 2015 by front-loading your fundraising before May, um, and even if things, and, and then if things get better, then you're, you set yourself up for an even better 2015 than you might have hoped for, and if this forecast does come to pass, just as it's outlined, then you've hedged the downfall of uh, October through December. Right. You've gained market share, as we'd say. Uh, well, you've potentially. Done, you've done what others have how, how much, how much uh, your competitors listen to the nonprofit coach and get Atlas of Giving. Exactly. So uh, wrapping up, the uh, uh, we've got about uh, five minutes uh, left here, Rob. I want to uh, ask you to uh, cover uh, aspects of the Atlas of Giving um, that we have not gotten a chance to uh, uh, to cover. For instance, I, I was interested that even though you're you're viewing the the early part of 2015, certainly as we've mentioned, January through May is likely to uh, or is, is forecast in the Atlas of Giving to be above 2014 levels, nonetheless, marginally lower, um, you found that December giving uh, was down fractionally from November. So was that the beginning of, uh, of, of a, a caution, uh, or was that just, uh, as it shows, a, a, a almost a, a rounding error? Um, it was the, the – yes, you're right. I mean, from November 2014 to, to December 2014, there was, there was less money given in December than there was in November, largely a function, if you remember, there, there were some stock market flutters at that time. And um, what we know now is that the uh, fourth quarter of GDP uh, slowed down considerably from the third quarter so those things enter to the equation, and it's like I said before, <clears throat> we can we can be aggressive, we can use great strategy, great technique in our fundraising, <clears throat> but if there if there isn't enough water to float on, uh, we'll only be so successful. And so <clears throat> it's a bit. Uh, and this past year was uh, a little different than most years, as I say, most years. Unless there's an extraordinary event, uh, year-end giving typically goes up uh, a bit from the previous year, but or from the previous months. But it is it isn't as dramatic a rise as as people might think. And one thing I, to throw in here anecdotally is that the top ten largest gifts made in the U.S. in 2014 were all made prior to to the fourth quarter. 
So when you think about the disproportional size of those gifts, you know, those things make a difference. And uh, there definitely are people who are motivated at year end for a variety of reasons to give. But the, uh, the effect, the competition, all those, all those factors uh, enter into year end giving. Yeah, and I think year end giving, as you mentioned, is a bit of a of a of a misnomer in that that's when you're going to get your growth, um, because I think it, it's more a tale of concentration of giving and habits of giving, but it doesn't necessarily predict in any way, and certainly you're not predicting for 2015, and you didn't find it in 2014 that that is the month that you're going to have your increase. Correct. It's, it's it's primarily a function of economics when when things happen economically or events 2000 you know 911 being a great example of that or uh October through December of 2008 being another another example so the wise fundraiser again is going to front load fundraising in 2015 whether the storm in the back half of 2015 or set the organization up with that exact same strategy for a tremendous uh, boost in giving because they'll go into uh, their third and fourth quarter already having maybe perhaps, if they're smart, making their budget. Yes. So if I were sit, sitting behind the practitioner desk, that's what I would do. Oh, great. Well, what else have we uh, potentially missed today? And then as we wrap up the uh, show, and again, uh, Rob, thank you so much. This is, there's so much wealth of information, and I think you know, it's one of the few sources, um, and, and certainly anybody can debate you know, any set of data, um, but at least this is a solid, educated approach to trying to help in both forecasting and understanding uh, prior giving. Uh, so uh, two things in three minutes. Um, I, what did we miss that you wanted to cover, and how can my listeners reach you? Um, the easiest way for, for listeners to reach us is uh, go to atlasofgiving.com, and I would the one thing I would stress is we give these monthly reports away that show how giving is doing and what the updated forecast is. That uh, new report comes out around the 25th of each month, and so it's important to check back at atlasofgiving.com, and the report is free. There's absolutely no cost or obligation to it. You simply uh, provide your email address, and we make a promise that we're not deluging you with all sorts of offers, and we just let you know when things are important and that you should be paying attention to. And then also on our website, for for less than $200, an organization can go in and answer six simple questions about their giving and where their gifts come from and the geography that they're operating in and get a 12-month forecast for their organization. And uh, it's a great thing. And then you can check back, and as the information is updated each month, you can check back in each month and see how your forecast has changed. Bob, I can't thank you enough, and I certainly draw everybody's attention to uh, the Atlas of uh, Giving, a fantastic program today. Uh, we wish you well in all of your work. And just, a, again, a reminder uh, for my listeners, we will be live here on the Nonprofit Coach 
next week, uh, and our guests will be Linda Lysakowski and Lynn Dean, uh, and uh, they will be here to talk to us about nonprofit strategic planning. Thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.